This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning. I think it's time for us to begin our seminar. Shall we pause for a word of prayer? Father, thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for this important uh, congregation uh, and meeting of young folk. We pray that the Holy Spirit will be present to guide our minds and our hearts that we may be able to receive the blessing you have planned for us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our study for this session is how God taught me to study his word. And uh, we begin the story of my Christian battle at seven years of age. I had just moved with my family from the state of Oregon to Washington, where we had uh, uh, begun working in a hop camp. We were still migrants, hadn't found a location uh, yet. And uh, while we were there, I was introduced to two things in a way that I'd never been introduced before, and that is liquor and tobacco. And uh, they were drinking everywhere, and there were tobacco stubs everywhere you go. There was, and nowadays, relatively few people smoke, but in that time, everyone seemed like everyone smoked, and there were cigarette butts everywhere. I'm not sure just how Satan does it, but he is able to stimulate our curiosity. I had no interest in smoking. I indeed uh, felt an antipathy toward it. I had not been introduced to that before, but now at seven years of age, something drew me to raise the question, what do they put those uh, unclean things in their mouths and suck them for? Well, why do they do it? What, is, what goes on? And somehow I was tempted to experiment to see what it was all about. I heard the voice of God's Spirit very clearly saying, don't do it. And I understood that God was signaling me not to do it. But there was another voice that I didn't yet recognize. And that voice was very calm and uh, assured me that I could, I could go ahead and experiment and it would be all right that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, therefore I shouldn't have any problem. I could go ahead and, and then ask God's forgiveness and everything would be fine. Well, it took me a while to make, after making the decision to 
to uh, secure the matches that I would need. There were plenty of cigarette butts that were quite long. So eventually I had uh, six siblings around me all the time, so I had to wait until I was quite sure no one would know until getting the matches. When I did, I picked up the largest, longest cigarette butt I could find and locked myself in the outhouse. It wasn't but just a few seconds later that I was in a panic. That voice that had kept assuring me, everything's all right, there's no problem, you can do that and it'll be all right. And suddenly that same voice changed completely and uh, the voice then was, you're lost, you can never be saved. Now why could I never be saved? Not because I'd sinned, but even though I was only seven, I realized then that to plan a sin and plan the confession of that sin would mean that when you had sinned and confessed, that confession would have very little value because you planned to confess before you sinned. And therefore, I was... Uh, under the satanic uh, driving force of final destruction, you've sinned against the Holy Spirit, you can never be saved. Now, for eight years, I confessed that sin. Well, at least for most of those eight years. To begin with, I confessed it probably hundreds of times a day. And the first few days, that's all I could think of was to ask God's forgiveness, but never had any assurance that I was forgiven. For eight years, I was hoping that I might be able to be accepted of God, but had no in indication that I would be. And after eight years... We moved from the state of Washington to California. And uh, while I was there, uh, I stayed for a period of time with a cousin and uh, walked about four miles each way every day to school at St. Helena, California, where they had 10 grade school. And during that period of time, I gave my special attention to the question of being able to uh, convince God that I was savable. <laughs> In other words, I was hoping to prove to him. And I spent considerable time in prayer. I walked four miles each way, going and coming, during those period of time, I did a great deal of praying and uh, talking to God. I really wasn't hearing him much then, but I was telling him how much I wanted to be received by him. As it was, uh, I, after a few weeks, uh, there was a young fellow by the name of Laverle Emerson who came on vacation 
He had been studying at Merced, California, and he was telling me about how you could go there and you could work for tuition and, uh, and boarding, and uh, I decided to go with him. And when I arrived, I found that he was working on a dairy farm. And uh, the gentleman who had the dairy farm was gone at that point, he, but he had returned very soon after I came back. And uh, as I started working on that dairy farm, it wasn't very long before Laverle and his brother, who were both there, were invited by someone in town to stay with them. And I was involved with the dairy. In fact, the farmer himself retired from his work. And I was carrying the full responsibility for the dairy. I grew up working hard and so and, and uh, milking cows and so forth, that was not a hard thing for me. So it was that I was, uh, had my alarm set for 3.45 every morning. I had to be in the barn with the cows by four o'clock in order to be through in time to do all the cleaning and so forth and be able to have a little breakfast and be ready to go to school. Well, that was quite a challenge uh, because that was seven days a week. And uh, it meant that even on Sabbath, I was spending nearly eight hours a day in the barn with the, with the cows and with the cleanup and so forth. Actually, during that period of time, uh, I was very distressed because the moral climate was not good. And I was faced with temptations of a nature that I had not been faced with before. And I knew that unless I had a change of some kind, internal change, I would not be able to hang on and, and maintain sexual purity for indefinitely. And so I, I prayed earnestly about it. I felt that I was at the, at the, um, at the crossroads. And uh, I felt that if I didn't find the answer then, I never would. I felt that I was at the point of no return. If I didn't have the answer that I would soon be at the point where I couldn't return. And so I prayed to God and I said, Lord, I, whatever you ask me to do, I'm willing to do. Now, you understand that I had no assurance that I could be saved, but I was still hoping that I would be saved. The fact is that I had to come to the place of total submission to God before he could do his work within me. And so I asked God to show me what to do. And what he did was to call for total sacrifice. Now, when I say total sacrifice, I'll explain what I mean. There would have been little 
that I could have done more than what he asked me for. He asked me to spend one hour every morning and one hour every evening in study and prayer. So here I was already getting up at 3.45. Now if I give an hour in the morning, that makes 2.45. And my work lasted until 7.30 or so where I'd grab a bite of supper and by 8 o'clock tried to be in my bed ready for sleep. Now it would be 9 o'clock instead of 8 o'clock. So that didn't leave me very much time for sleeping. As a matter of fact, I didn't know what it was then, but later on I found that I had a problem of unlimited fever. And that is a very tough thing to deal with itself. And it, uh, it does serious damage to the nerves. And uh, so what God asked me to do was as close to the impossible as I could have come to. Twice after I began my devotional study, which I took the book Desire of Ages for my devotions, I started reading through Desire of Ages, and I got to the end of the chapter. When I got to the end of the chapter, I was deeply distressed. Why? Because nothing had happened. I had no idea what I was supposed to experience, but I knew that something had to change. And when I got to the end of the chapter, I asked God, I said, show me what to do. I, could, I was in despair because it seemed like I was, this is my last chance, and my last chance was going. And the voice that spoke to me before and told me to spend the time an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, spoke to me again. And God said to me, you go back to the first, uh, go back to the beginning of the chapter, which I did. About halfway through that chapter again, and by the way, the Zarevages is not difficult to understand. My problem wasn't that I couldn't understand it. It was that I was looking for something that would change my the way of thinking and, uh, and uh, that would change me. So I started at the first of the chapter again. About the halfway through, I was really in a panic because I realized that there was no change and I wondered if there would be any possibility of change. So I asked God again, what do I do? And he spoke again. He said, go back to the first paragraph and don't leave it until you get something out of it. What was something I was to get? I didn't know. But I was told very clearly that voice that I spoke to you about was very clear. Don't leave it until you get something from it. Now, I had become a speed reader because I was a novel reader. And novels you don't read for understanding and for content. You read it for thrills, for excitement from one pitch to another. So when I got back to the first paragraph and couldn't leave it, I was left to do what I needed to do, and that was to pause over every statement and prayerfully ask God to 
give me what it speaks about. And so I did. And it was not long before I suddenly found myself in communication with God. The Holy Spirit was speaking through the Word, and I knew that God was talking to me. At this time, it wasn't just a voice as it was before. It was still the same voice, but it was the words that I was reading now had a power that they didn't have before. So it was the third time that I suddenly realized that God was speaking directly to me through the desire of ages. And it wasn't long before I was singing in that old horse barn where I lived. By the way, I lived in the attic, I mean, in the hayloft of the, horse, the old horse barn. And I was singing in that horse barn in the middle of the night, not to anyone. I was not singing any song I knew. I was singing my song of experience. I was so grateful. It was such a wonderful thing to know that God was talking to me. And so I sang a song, the music of which came to me while I was singing, and the words which had to do with that experience that I was having right then, thanking God for his presence, thanking him for talking with me. This was a great blessing, and it resulted in my acceptance of total grace. I had no question at that point, but what God did receive me, he did accept me. And I had no question what he would continue to accept me. So I guess we had... Uh, Okay, that's, that's all. Um, I didn't expect to get through with this little story as soon as I have, but I'd like to just visit with you a few minutes before we close. I'm going to continue this story in the next session, but since it's identified on, on the menu, at, on the... Um, Program. I will not begin that right now. I'll just go ahead with this. So what, what happened to me? I had eight years that I consider my Catholic years. Now that may not seem very meaningful to some of you, but what is the principle of Catholicism? Salvation by works. What was I trying to do? I was trying to prove. God wanted to prove himself to me, but I was trying to prove myself to him. While I'm trying to prove myself to God, I'm not able to, he is unable to prove himself to me because I'm focused on myself. And uh, I had no idea of theology at that time. But I can tell you now, in terms of the theological experience of Adventists generally, we tend to try to prove ourselves to God 
rather than allow him to prove himself to us. The just shall live by faith, not by proving ourselves to God, but accepting by faith what he has given to us. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So the righteousness which we receive, we receive not by proving ourselves to God, but by accepting his promises to us. Now when I studied the Desire of Ages intensely, the voice of God spoke to me very forcefully. And it was the same voice that had told me eight years before not to experiment. It was eight years before I heard God's voice again. That voice, when I first heard it again, was when God spoke to me and told me to spend an hour every morning and an hour every evening. I was now ready to hear God's voice. I was now through with all of my efforts. I realized there's nothing I could do by that time. I had tried everything possible. And now I realized that I couldn't. I was just helpless. I was dependent totally upon him. And that opened the door for him to show himself to me. And again, that voice I heard. And that was a wonderful thing to hear that voice again. Young people, I can tell you this. There is nothing, there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And no effort, no intensity. As a matter of fact, during those eight years, I was miserable most of the time. And I did many things uh, that reminded me of Martin Luther. I was a Martin Luther. You remember he beat himself with chains. He fasted. He did everything he could. And only when he was at the point where he, his hopes were exhausted and nothing he could do but trust in God's word, then it was that he realized that the just shall live by what is it? Faith. By faith. There is no way we can please God. We cannot prove ourselves to him. If we did, it wouldn't matter anyway, because uh, uh, we are dependent on him. So it was that God was leading me step by step. And that book, Desire of Ages, proved to me to be a lifeline, one of the greatest books ever written. And uh, this morning I would like to share with you uh, what we are going to be doing this morning. We'll be sharing principles that I have presented in this book, The Power of Humility, which is the latest work that I've done. We'll also be uh, dealing with principles that come from this book, the Adventist Cultures in Conflict. I thank God for the experience that I had during those eight years. 
I learned what I, in those eight years of defeat, I learned the most important lessons. There is no way for us to approve ourselves to God. And no matter how hard we try. And then I will be touching on this book, Questions on Doctrines Revisited, which is a, a review of the questions on doctrines, issues, and dealing with uh, the fact that we had two different sides, neither of which the viewpoint was adequate, both of which had truth, but they each needed the truth the other one held. And this is, to a large degree, what happens within our midst when we have conflict, usually each side is standing for some important principle. And yet, neither side is willing to focus on the principle the other one has, which they need. And uh, so we'll be discussing this, and uh, we'll be t talking about uh, some other things. I might just mention here that the last uh, services we have will be a little different than what's announced because I've decided uh, that I will want to deal uh, with Desmond Ford and the issues there. I did my doctoral dissertation on Des Ford's theology and uh, I, since sending in my titles, I decided I really should have presented some issues of that since he is still involved. He still is putting his materials on YouTube. And uh, let me tell you this. It's a very important thing to understand that issue because Desmond Ford, uh, first, I'm going to make another statement first and I'll come back to that. All heresy is based on truth. It's the truth element involved in heresy that grasps people. And all heresy is based on truth. And the fact is that those who may listen to Desmond Ford will find some beautiful truth involved. And if they didn't understand that before, this morning I'm going to be sharing how God led me to an understanding of Minneapolis truth before I knew anything about the Minneapolis. He was leading me at this, through this experience to understand the Minneapolis principles. And uh, it is those Minneapolis principles that are essential to our preparation for the latter rain. And unless we can receive those principles into our lives, we'll never be prepared for the latter rain. So I will be making some change in that. And the books that I've shown you will all be available at the Weimar booth, uh, where I will be involved with the Weimar booth as well. So you'll find those books there. That's Power of Humility and the Adventist Cultures in Conflict, and then uh, Questions on Doctrines Revisited. <coughs> So reviewing the issues that were involved then that are still with us. Those same issues have not been resolved. 
and they have led us to what we usually have been calling a liberal or conservatives. We have two different, two different uh, uh, wings of the church, neither one of which has an adequate understanding of God's message for this time. As a matter of fact, liberal, the, those on, that have become uh, disenchanted with Ellen White and so forth, they're the ones that appear more in line with Minneapolis, but are not. Those who are pushing Minneapolis do not, in most cases, understand Minneapolis. The Minneapolis principle will set us free if it's internalized. And it is something that we cannot do for ourselves. It's something God must do for us. And we cannot receive that experience unless we first recognize our hopelessness. As a matter of fact, we have to be defeated before we can gain victory. It's in defeat that we're prepared to claim the power of the Holy Spirit, which is offered to us all the time. So, as we have the meetings, we'll be pursuing the issues that we're talking about, and in our next issue, we're going to be dealing with how I found Minneapolis principles, that is, yes, discovered Minneapolis principles before I knew anything about Minneapolis. So God bless you. Let us close our little meeting with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for guiding and directing us. We thank you for our defeats, defeats that are essential to victory because the victory that we need is your victory in our lives, which we cannot achieve for ourselves, but we can only look to you and be saved. Look to me. You've told, called us to look to you and be saved. We thank you and claim your blessings in the name of Jesus. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at the cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.